Hey gang, welcome to episode 204 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio in Los Angeles, aka the kitchen table. This week on the show, it's No Pro After Dark from New York City. Our managing editor and New York coordinator, Catherine Yu talks with uh, some of the members of the New York City team. Those include Ali Murata, Asia Gorovitz, Blake Weil, and Cheyenne Ligon. Uh, and uh, they talk about some of the stuff they've been seeing and enjoying and thinking about uh, f- this season. Uh, Blake and Cheyenne had just checked out the great Gotham caper, um, which uh, had had some issues. Um, they would go on to write a review, uh, which is available on the site right now. We just released it yesterday. Um, there was some serious design stuff uh, going on there in terms of um, safety issues, um, getting people to run out and play in the street, um, and and not in a way that people could just you know snap a photo of something in the street, but actually having to like hunch down in a crosswalk. Uh, yeah, you know, mm, uh, yeah, anyway, more on that on the back end of, uh, of the thing. Uh, let's uh, check in on the Patreon. Uh, you probably know this by now. The Patreon is my own personal major source of income (laughs) at the moment. Uh, and so everyone gets to see just how much money, uh, uh, Noah's taken in every month. And right now it's $1,400. So, and I live in Los Angeles. So, Hey, uh, we didn't get any new backers this time out. We could use some patreon.com slash no persinium is how you help us out. And backers at the $5 and above level, uh, you get access to the irregular and the irregular is almost regular. Now, um, I recorded one yesterday, dropped it in the feed this morning. So there's kind of a bonus, uh, episode rant. I'm recording these in the car as I'm going places. Cause again, Los Angeles, uh, so not the world's greatest audio quality, but definitely if you want some off the cuff insight into what's going on, uh, out there in the wide immersive world, uh, the irregulars, a nice way to get that. All right. Um, let's do the thing we're supposed to do right now, which is, ha, mentioned the sustaining backers of the show. Uh, I I recorded this already, and then there was a mistake, so I had to go back and record it again. So I'm sort of reliving the last five minutes of my life in a constant loop. Uh, <laughs> the sustaining backers of No Presidium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Thank you all for keeping the show going forward step by step. Um, we are taking a break next week. Um, we're there's there's no North American newsletter, uh, there's no LA or New York newsletter, there's no podcast. Um, will there be an irregular? Possibly. Um, we need to play catch up. I need to play catch up, but most importantly, I need to unplug. I need to, to, to unplug completely. More on that on the back side, but I just wanted for those who don't stick around for the afternotes, uh, make a note you will not be getting. Any major production out of us next week, because Fourth of July is that Thursday, and you know, meh, not gonna hop back on the horse. Gonna take the time to um, 
spin down, uh, refill the tanks, and get ready for the battles ahead. Because uh, there is a lot going on. Uh, Comic-Con's coming up, uh, and Kara's going to be down there, and uh, I might even swing through for a hot second. Uh, there's just there's just a lot, 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 lot going on, and uh, we want to make sure that we are able to bring it all to you in, um, in, in the ways you want to have it. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and roll the tape for this week's episode, New York City After Dark. Hey everyone, this is Catherine Yu from No Presidium, New York, and today on the podcast we have a panel of some of our wonderful New York City writers, I'm going to introduce each one going alphabetical down the list in order, starting with Allie. Hey, everyone. I'm Allie Murata. I'm an immersive creator and researcher. And we also have Asia. Hi, everyone. I'm Asia Gorovitz. I'm a writer here, and um, I'm also a performance photographer. Blake. Hi everyone, I'm Blake Weil. By day, I'm a market researcher, but by night, I'm a critic with no proscenium. And Cheyenne. Hi guys, I'm Cheyenne. I'm a new reviewer with no pro, but a longtime fan of immersive theater. So um, maybe we'll start with you, Cheyenne. What have you seen so far this year that's really impressed you, really gotten your juices going? Well, I just saw The Bunker for the first time. I know it's been running for a little while, but it was my first time seeing it, and I thought it was amazing. Definitely the best thing I've seen or participated in, I guess, uh, rather, this year. It was really, really great. So from, um, from what I know of The Bunker and kind of the different instances um, that, you know, each group kind of makes its own path. So did you end up doing more of the tabletop stuff or like the excursion-y stuff? Or were you more leaning towards like the LARP? Like what was your experience like? Yeah, so <laughs> the tabletop stuff was funny. We we had a guy who kind of like stationed himself. He was our like stuff maker. He knew how to play the game and he, he made the nails and the junk plating and all of that. Um, and then I ended up being kind of like the diplomat. I held down the fort. They had these, um, like iPad kind of things and I was communicating with all the other bunkers and then filling in my, my bunker on what was going on in the outside world. So kind of helping inform decisions that way. So from your perspective, like, and this is something that, uh, I think both Ian and Austin struggle with as well. Like, how would you describe the bunker to someone who doesn't know anything about it? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that because I've been raving about it for the last week and people keep asking, they're like, so it was a LARP. And I'm like, well, not really. And they're like, so it was a play. And I'm like, not really. <laughs> so I, I don't even know how I would explain it because it's just kind of a fusion, this very original fusion of like LARP slash escape room slash storytelling experience, but it, wholly original. So do you want to spoil it a little and talk about um, the ending of your bunker or do you want to keep that quiet? <laughs> I don't, I don't think it would be spoiling because I think different things happen to everyone, 
But basically, our group had a little bit of a split um, about where we should go. So we were able to fix our bus and escape our bunker. And then about half of us wanted to go up north to where there was this kind of like hive mind bunker. Um, And then the other half wanted to go to a party bunker where we heard rumors that there was beer and lots of beans. So half of us did that and the other half ended up as bee people. So it was very fun. So wait, um, the the ones who got the beer were the beer bee people, or or was wait? Am I am I getting confused here? Yeah, no. So like there there was a, a hive of bees, like people who had kind of turned into these like alien bee people, and then there was another group that was fully human, but they there was a party bunker that had beer and like lots of food. So half of us ended up becoming bees, and then the other half went to the party bunker. So we, we kind of had a split in our group. Did you feel like a lot of the people you were playing with were kind of um, initiated to that sort of experience? Or did it seem to be like more people who were new to that sort of experience? You know, I would say that about half of us had definitely had experience with like D&D or, or things like that where it wasn't a, a total first time. And then other people, it was definitely their first time doing any of that. But there's such a low barrier to entry at the bunker that I I feel like nobody had a hard time getting into it. It was pretty easy for everyone to hit the ground running and and know what they were supposed to be doing. Awesome. So on like the scale of RPG and LARPs and all that, like how much experience would you say that you had coming into the bunker? Um, I've I've played D&D for a few years and I had done a couple Nordic style LARPs and I, I think that the bunker's closer to a Nordic style LARP than like any other type of LARP. So not super experienced, but definitely not a first timer. But again, I think that even if you were a first timer, you could easily play the bunker. Uh, Always good to hear a a report coming back from the bunker and Broken Ghost Immersives. So Blake, how about you? What have you been up to? This year, probably my favorite thing that I've seen has been invited by Rock Dance Collective. So what was so special about that? Could you describe it? Because I don't think they're that well known of an immersive company, actually. They're pretty small. I'm actually not even sure if how many forays into the immersive spaces they've had, but they really knocked it out of the park. So invited was an immersive dance piece framed through the lens of a party that you've been invited to, a sort of think a nice evening cocktail party. And so guests would arrive, you'd be given a cocktail of your choice, you would mingle with the cast who would then be the dancers for the evening. And what really made it so spectacular was that with a lot of previous kind of immersive dance pieces I've seen, a lot of times, you know, they'll be very cool, they'll be very interesting, they'll be fascinating to describe to someone. But because dance can be so abstract, they can be a little bit hard to follow or interpret or find meaning in. But what I really loved out of Invited was that because you had this overarching structure of the party, it made it much easier to follow the narrative. And they even, using a little bit of dialogue, worked in some pretty great one-on-ones with audience members, that I was lucky enough to get one of them. 
Do you want to describe a little bit more in detail about what happened during that one-on-one? Sure thing. So one of the characters um, who I, I want to kind of call her like the mean girl of the evening. She spent the whole show kind of putting down the party planners, fighting with her boyfriend, being rude to other guests. Uh, There was a cake earlier in the evening and she literally sat down next to me just to gossip about how bad the cake was. Um, but after everyone through the show's proceedings has been a little bit emotionally wounded, she pulled me and maybe one other person aside and she really put us on the spot in almost a simulation of like a sexist cat calling street harassment with her as the harasser against me and this one other guy and nothing crossed the line. You know, it, it wasn't, it was nothing that made me uncomfortable beyond the bounds of the show, but it really provided this interesting, visceral experience of being put on the spot by someone else's bad behavior and having to maintain a cool facade, which the show really tied nicely into its general themes of if we act nice at a party, then why can't we act nice as invited guests? And what is the appropriate response to rudeness, both in a controlled situation like a party and a wild situation like the world? So the performer is with you and another person. So there's the three of you interacting together. Um, How much of your reaction was based on what you were thinking and feeling? And were you trying to get any sort of like social cues or have a discussion with the other person involved? Well, that was one of the really clever things about it. Um, By bringing that other person in, I was kind of put on the spot because I didn't want to be a jerk in front of the other person. He didn't want to be a jerk in front of me. And yet we have the actor being very aggressive to the both of us. And so there was this moment of kind of shared understanding and discomfort between us where almost just through glances, we established like a small social contract between the two of us where it was just, okay, we're just going to get through this. We're going to endure this harassment and we can talk about it later, but it's just going to get worse if we raise our voices now. And it really was one of these interesting kind of empathy building moments that I really think immersive theater is uniquely suited to create. So the person you were with, did you know them in advance? Not at all. We were taken from opposite sides of the room. Um, We weren't even sitting next to each other. And did you end up finding them later and asking them like, hey, what just happened and what did you think about it? Yeah, um, there was a brief break for champagne about maybe 10 minutes later. And the two of us, you know, it started out almost in that sort of war stories mode you get with a lot of immersive theater of like, oh God, you know, were you expecting that what happened? But then it kind of broke down into a much more kind of sympathetic, like, are you okay? You shaky, you need a glass of water. And it was a really nice little moment. So I think we'd be remiss to mention that you do a lot of LARPs as well. And so it seems like you kind of just did like the the check-in that happens at a a lot of LARPs, right? (laughs) 
pretty much uh, all you needed was a little uh, fist on your forehead. LARPing was kind of how I fell into the immersive world. So I tend to like the shows where I can kind of play with the actors a little bit. And once I guess like this, where I do know my role as an audience member within the universe of the show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that's something that I, I know you care strongly about, I care strongly about, Noah cares strongly about, and a lot of other folks. So, uh, Asia, what's been going on in your neck of the woods? What have you seen that you have been very impressed by? So, by contrast with Blake, I am coming from a more traditional theater reviewing, and I only started discovering LARPs last year, I think. I did my first one. Yeah, so I'm like very new to it and I only did three or four so far. And actually like one of the highlights of this year for me was Fade by Sinking Ship Creations. So tell us a little bit about Fade because I think the the structure and I guess I guess the container of the world that they've built in that is pretty unusual and it has a, a lot of these interesting forces at play. So yeah, um, give us the download on Fade. So um, what struck me most, I guess, was the um, contrast um, with another LARP. Um, can I call it LARP? The, the Mortality Machine, the other uh, project <laughs> that Sinking Ship Creations did, which had a LARP component. Uh, but also had a bunch of other things and um, ultimately wasn't that successful. So in the uh, next project, in Fade, they decided to get rid pretty much of anything that is not LARP. And uh, I was struck by um, the boldness of this decision to kind of just give um, the full agency to um, the audience members. And uh, there were characters designed. So... Uh, it's not like totally up to you, uh, but there was there was a lot of agency and like space for creating your own character and interaction and um, means and ways of interaction too. So from what I understand, it's kind of like you and a bunch of the other players are stuck in an almost purgatory. Could you talk about the actual structure of the experience? Oh, sure. So I think if I remember correctly, it's 13 people um, stuck in a studio apartment, which is called Chamber. And uh, the premise of it is we don't know how we got there. We remember something from our past lives and uh, we don't know what really brought us to this weird space where um, you can't escape um, unless you step out of the door and uh, this is called the void and uh, essentially this is the exit of the game and uh, of your life in this reincarnation whatever um, and all you can do is try to figure out why you're there who are these people and how you can help each other um, I guess, <laughs> deal with this situation. 
So what character were you playing? I remember um, Ed reviewed it, and he was kind of playing this like Romeo Don Juan kind of guy. So I'm I'm curious what character you ended up with. So I was in a love triangle. I had a spouse and um, I had a lover, and uh, it was quite loaded emotionally for me. Uh, so what happened? Um, the emails was sent out to participants to kind of with the questionnaire, um, including which topics are going to be um, like dealt with. And um, I like, I think I was busy and I so I didn't fill it out. And um, basically I was assigned a character <laughs> and <laughs> they, it, it, um, it was very close to me in a sense that, um, it had a lot of personal um, points, I guess. So for me, yeah, it was therapeutic in a sense. Yeah, that, that experience sounded really, really intense, but also um, potentially quite fulfilling. Um, I did note that in Ed's review, he talked about how, you know, you might choose to leave the chamber for the void in a way that made the most sense for your character and your character's story, but it also meant that because it was the end of the game for you, you're, you're constantly balancing, well, like, is the is the best way that this narrative could go me leaving right now? And then, oh, well, it's over for me if I do go. So as you were playing through Fade, was that also going into your mind? Like, is this the time for me to enter the chamber or leave the chamber and enter the void? So yeah, I remember Ed's review and uh, he brought this point. And uh, yeah, I agree in a sense that essentially you don't want to do it because you will lose your money. <laughs> and uh, who wants to do that? Like everybody wants to play through and uh, no matter what comes at you, you'd rather stay with it to see how it ends right uh but then on the other like hand it's very true to life i mean if you choose to exit uh, this is your choice and um you can't really come back i guess yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense very well put and ali what have you enjoyed in recent memory I've been pretty badly behaved this year in that I've been working on a lot of stuff and not seeing a lot of stuff. But the one thing that I have to talk about is Chained, uh, especially as like a VR newbie. I was like so blown away. So in your in your words, in your perspective, how would you describe the setup of Chained? That's, okay, a very good question because I got to take a peek behind the scenes, so I want to describe it as an audience member and not, like, the actual technology behind it, if that's okay. Um, yes, of course. Cool. So, it I changes in the future storytelling arcade, so it's amongst a number of other VR, AR exhibits, um, but it's the only, like, formal theatrical one. And the setup is literally you're taken into a different space from the rest of the arcade and, like, just entirely transported somewhere else to this, like, Victorian time. Um, 
Yeah. And for people who maybe don't know that much about the experience, it was done by Madison Wells Immersive. Um, Justin Denton uh, it was involved, uh, formerly of Here Be Dragons, uh, also produced by Ethan Stearns, who worked on Carnegie Arena, as well as War Remains, which just played at the Tribeca Immersive. Uh, so tons and tons of VR heavy hitters in there. So Ali, what was the most, I guess, impressive aspect to you about the way that Chained is executed just from like your perspective as someone who is not as familiar with virtual reality as some other people? The thing that was most impressive was like I wasn't thinking about the technology, trying to figure it out as I was doing it because it's just it was that well done. Um, the moment that stuck out the most to me, and I hope this isn't like a spoiler, but um, there's a moment where you get pulled through a mirror and it, the way that they were able to manipulate the technology to do that made it really feel like so incredibly real. I was stunned and like, that's right at the beginning. So I was already sold on it. Everything else was just like icing on the cake and the rest of it was so amazing that it was just such an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess you could say like the first chapter you're in this Victorian study, and as you're putting the goggles on, you're standing in front of a mirror, and it looks like a real wall that you can put your hand out and touch. And then suddenly in the VR, slight spoiler, you're passing through that wall, and your body is physically moving forward. And if you're like me, and you think there's still a physical wall there, you scream. So I don't know, Ali, did, did you you're scream? You're not like alone in that, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was bugging yeah, that... out, but it was so magical. So in terms of, so we've talked about the the good stuff, the things that really stuck out. Um, I guess the question that I'm always thinking about is, what is the New York scene's weakness? Where are the areas that maybe there's um, opportunities for growth or just genres and forms and formats that we're not playing with. Um, anybody want to take a stab at what they think that we can explore more of? I'll take a crack at it, I guess. Um, it's funny that you mentioned genre. I think that the New York scene can be very heavy when it comes to immersive theater, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The you know, uh, Where There's Smoke, a very heavy show, was one of my other favorites this year. But I think that I'm always the most surprised when I see something kind of comedic and delightful in the immersive world. Maybe because it's a new art form that's emerging into being taken seriously in the mainstream, there's a thought that drama has a more inherent value, but I think you can get just as much out of comedy, and I'd really like to see the New York scene embrace comedy to a greater degree. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I think we've talked on past podcast episodes that so much of comedy is timing and like already you're 
having a lot of trouble getting the timing right in an immersive show, right? So that's that extra level of difficulty. Like, why would you go and like give yourself like even more bonus homework? So that's definitely one aspect of it, I think. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, but uh, it's funny, I've seen a few shows in New York that while they even deal with very serious thing themes, manage to use comedy to ease the audience in and break down those barriers. Uh, I guess part of the reason I really like seeing these kind of surprises and comedic elements is because maybe I'm a cynic. Sometimes I end up going into an immersive production going like, all right, how are they going to try to get me? Where's the gut punch going to come from? And so once I'm a little off balance, when that gut punch does come, it hits me a little bit harder. That does make sense. It's kind of like, um, you know, a faint and a surprise. Like when you're not looking for it, all of a sudden that like emotional moment hits. Exactly. It was a block association project that for a good nine tenths of the show was a straightforward comedy with some sinister undertones. But then the minute this heavy stuff hit in the final 10th, it bowled me over and defined the show, no matter how funny the comedy was. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of Harlow Fowler's work, which is a little weird and a little kind of that, that genre of funny sad, like there's humor in it, but there's also often an undertone of suffering or pain or humiliation or just things that don't quite make sense, where the piece, piece, puzzle pieces don't quite fit together. I know that they're big fans of David Lynch, so probably that goes into it as well. I, I was about to say what you're describing is the full David Lynch experience. And that kind of surreality is the other thing I go to immersive for. I mean, I'm the kind of weirdo who the first time I saw Eyes Wide Shut not so much the weird sex stuff, but it was like, a, oh, wow, wouldn't it be weird to be in that room? Yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't heard from Asia or Cheyenne, so do you guys have thoughts as to what's missing in the New York immersive scene? So um, when Blake started talking about comedy, I immediately thought, like, I started thinking what, like, comedic show I've seen this year. And, like, the only one I could think about is uh, Midsummer. Oh, Bottom's Dream. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Bottom's Dream uh, is not quite an immersive production, but a promenade, rather, um, based on Midsummer Night's Dream and uh, is a comedy. Uh, lots of fun lots of great characters and uh director directors i'm sorry <laughs> director's choices uh but what was missing for me and that and again i saw it with ed coincidentally so what was missing for me as we discussed on the way back was the woods like how cool would it be to make it in the woods so i'm like very excited for summer even though the weather is <laughs> really bad right now but I'm looking forward to see more shows that use nature and parks and woods and uh, yeah, all of that great stuff. Yes, definitely. And it's one reason why I'm often jealous of the theater companies that are in San Francisco 
or in Los Angeles because they seem to do outdoor shows basically year-round. And I think here it's essentially May through October. Like a lot of the outside Halloween shows can be kind of dicey, right? Yeah, and then you never know. It might rain like any day. Um, yeah, <laughs> tricky. What about uh, you, Cheyenne? You know, I would say the one thing I wish we had more of, and it could be that we have it and I just haven't experienced it yet, uh, would be like long form immersive. I was just listening to the podcast uh, where Noah talks about um, all of them witches, I think it was, in, in New Orleans. And I would just love to have that kind of experience that lasts over the course of days and, you know, you're, you're with a team and you have to figure stuff out, kind of like immersive meets an arg in a way like a, a short arg um I, I just wish that there was more of that in general although i think blake michael and i have been playing in arg it's probably dormant right now but i think technically it's been going since october is is that right blake like the yarnies That's right. <laughs> Oh God, Yarnies! I I love and miss Yarnies, um, and that really kind of bridged that gap. Um, I love when that arc space kind of bridges over into immersive as well. This one started out as a series of puzzles on YouTube videos, and then there was a mail-in address, and then they started having meetups at Comic Con, and I was a decoy while they were attempting to thwart a heist. You know, they gave me a dummy jewel to run away with. And so that was a ton of fun. And I really hope that that boots up again soon, because I think if I'm recalling correctly, that was to promote Magic Leap. Yes, it was. And they were able to incorporate the AR goggles into the storyline itself, it became this kind of magical object that was a bridge between worlds. And by looking through the Magic Leap lenses in the storyline, you could catch a glimpse of another another universe. So very, very clever. Lots of uh, old hats at ARGs um, involved in that. And hopefully we will hear more from that very, very soon. But yeah, to your point, Cheyenne, um, it's, it's just hard, right? It's just hard to do an immersive show, period. And it's hard to do one that's more durational or long form. Um, at some point, it would be great to see something that does take, um, you know, the span of two days or three days. And I mean, I guess All Them Witches and Overlook itself is pretty special in that the festival kind of gives that platform and has the resources to help a team of creatives do this three-day game but um yeah it's it seems pretty rare just because it just takes so much to actually get that kind of thing going but yeah, Gadmin, that, what about that oh sorry Cheyenne no no, no it's okay I'm, I'm just saying yeah, right it's fine. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it is very, very difficult to plan and organize something like that. Just dream wish list. I just think it would be such a cool experience. All right. So it sounds like you want to go to Overlook next year. <laughs> Azio, you were going to say something. Oh yeah, I was going to say. I think we have um, 
something similar domestically. We have um, sinking ships uh, multiple days LARP in November. That's right. Scapegoat, I think, is going to be over the course of four days in the middle of November. And that is a sequel to Project Ascension, which was a 36-hour LARP. And now they're just kind of taking that world and running with it even further. So yeah, definitely. Thanks for the reminder on that. So Ali, do you have a take on this topic? What would you like to see more of? Something that I personally would like to see more of is more um, investigation into like interactive and relational theater and how that plays into immersive work. Um, Can you explain what you mean by that? Since I don't think all of our listeners are going to know what those terms mean. Yeah, absolutely. So going more uh, at like audience participation um, would be like your interactive theater land. And then relational is looking at art as a state of encounter. So like the art doesn't exist without the audience. So uh, looking to mimic like real life social situations or encounters that you might find yourself in and then like putting. Do you have any examples uh, off the top of your head that you can share and any works that maybe are leaning towards that if even if they haven't gotten 100% there yet? I think some some works that are kind of bridging into that territory um maybe like this is when we rest is comes to mind of like how much audience participation can change or even like the bunker like anything that the audience has a hand in changing the course of the action I think is like delving into this territory yeah, yeah, it's interesting because personally, I always find that there is a there's there's competing forces, and what I have found sometimes when you get into stuff that's more interactive is that the, the audience collectively really wants to push at the rules and the boundaries, and then we kind of navigate ourselves into an ending that might suck. So I don't know if you have thoughts about that. That's a tough tough cookie to crack um it's hard because we can't predict how the audience is going to act in any situation um and that's like the huge conversation in like the research of relational theater and how we can make this work and interactive theater um because your example of course is like the mob mentality of like okay what are we supposed to do how can we make this the best that we can but I'm also thinking of like when and how do we decide like what we can trust an audience with and vice versa thinking specifically of like the kind of recent expose on sleep no more about how you set the audience up in this situation and it's almost like you're asking for them to do like x y and z bad behavior so it's a really fine line and it's a lot of questions about like ethics and like hierarchy and distribution of power that are all very hard to navigate. So do you have an example of, um, like, basically what comes to my mind is thinking about game mechanics 
and things that you can do to encourage or discourage certain behaviors. So one that always sticks out in my mind is when you're playing the video game Journey, when you encounter another player, which is not very common, um, if you go up to that other player, you can't hit them or hurt them or trip them. And actually what happens is that you end up sharing energy. And if you are low on energy and another player comes up to you, they can actually rejuvenate you. But at the same time, you're just kind of like these two nameless players. You can't chat to each other. There's no voice. Like you can't do anything to each other. No matter what you try to do, you actually end up helping the other player that you've encountered in this video game. So I'm wondering like, you know, from a theater perspective, like what are some of the things that we can do to encourage the good behaviors and discourage the bad ones? It's really interesting that you brought that up as the example because that, it takes the element of choice out of it. And that's so much of what is the most fun about this kind of work. Like what will the audience choose to do or what will you choose to do as an audience member? But I don't, I don't know what the answer is because it's so tempting to like behave badly when you have the opportunity to do it, you know? Like how do we guide the audience to make, I don't want to say better choices, but like choices that will inform the piece in a more productive way? Okay, so confession time. Who would like to admit that they accidentally broke a show before? I know at least one of us has done it. Is it you, Catherine? Okay, at least two two of us probably have done. I mean, okay, so I was hunting around. I had been given a mission in a show. And what happens when you get a mission by a character is, you know, you start hunting around for clues and you're looking for resources and you're trying to figure out where else you can go. And I accidentally broke into a room that you were not supposed to go into during Houseworld, so Andrew, I'm sorry, and I also misled my friend, and then two of the other participants started following us, so there were four of us in a room that was not part of the set, but we realized right away, and then we ran away, and then I believe a performer caught us, and we apologized to the performer, so no harm, no foul, but surely I am not the only person that has a story like this. Well, it's funny you brought that up. Uh, one of the things that I'm actually working on writing right now alongside... Sorry, sorry. Had a... One of the things I'm working on writing right now was about the Great Gotham Challenge. And this is one where I don't think I accidentally broke the show. I think someone from outside the parameters of the show broke the show. And that's kind of one of the risks of doing something like that, where all of the West Village was kind of the stage for it. And so we were being sent on missions, and we found a random stranger who had gotten wind of the show and started, took it upon herself to be a quest giver, complete with rewards. And so people were getting caught up trying to figure out what it meant when she gave them a brownie and how that would lead them to the next site. Only when in, in reality, this is maybe 30 out of a few hundred players. 
eating baked goods from strangers who have just inserted themselves into the show. Oh God. Wow. Yeah, that that sounds like a recipe for uh whoo man. I mean, did did you guys fall for her trick? Did you eat the 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 stranger food? We we, we totally didn't. fell for. I mean, I ate it. I was like crumbling it in front of her. I thought that maybe she had like baked a clue into it. I mean, we we were sold on the fact that this woman was part of the experience. I mean, I, I think we were the first ones, I don't know what you think, Blake, but to kind of realize that we were lost. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it we seemed were, so legit. We were the first ones to message in and say, hey, you know, maybe there's a glitch. We, you know, we'd like or hint on what the brownie means. And they go, what? brownie and then we suddenly realize oh no we've made a terrible mistake oh my goodness well um i mean was everyone okay no one got hurt at least and hopefully the organizers uh learned a really valuable lesson about people who want to mess with their experience wow no one got hurt uh nothing there were no real consequences but Generally, I think it was a learning experience. There were a few moments, that and one clue that required people to dart out into traffic that both kind of raised the security alarms in my brain as like, oh, this is really fun, but I'm really not sure this is safe. Yeah, yeah, that sounds super dangerous, and I'm glad that no one was hurt, but man, like that stuff definitely needs to be a lot clearer in the design process, and you know, for something that is kind of this giant sprawling scavenger hunt all over Manhattan, I always wonder how the Great Gotham Challenge does playtests, right? Because um, at least from my friends in the puzzle game design escape room community, like the second that you start playtesting, that's when you realize people misinterpret the rules and they don't understand that they're not supposed to do something. And that's when, you know, a lot of the safety and security stuff shakes itself out. But if your game is designed for several hundred people and you need all of Lower Manhattan, I have no idea how you would playtest that, man. It's it's kind of the safety version of what you were saying earlier, that you can never account for the behavior of an audience. And once those variables get introduced, there's always going to be unforeseen consequences. Only in this case, instead of narrative consequences, they were potential physical consequences. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely look forward to the joint review that you and Cheyenne are writing. All right, so I think it's time for our next round of questions. Um, Chime in, whoever wants to go first. What are you looking forward to um, from now through the end of the year? What, like, show on the radar has you really intrigued? I can break this ice. Um, I'm really looking forward to Elgin Park. And with that, like a whole umbrella of like spooky season, like I'm ready for it. Um, I don't know. I think there's just been a lot of not that happening and especially like what I've been seeing. So I think it's time for a little bit of like horror immersive theater to come up. Azia, what about you? I have a few things, like, preliminary scheduled, um, which I am 
mildly excited about. Um, I'm going to a convention. And uh, what excites me in that piece is that it's taking place in Irondale Center in Brooklyn, which is a converted Sunday school. And I just love that space. I've seen a couple of shows of a more traditional theater there. But the way it's transformed every each time uh, is so new. And uh, like this, I think this place uh, has ghosts. I mean, every time I'm there, I feel shivers. And uh, <laughs> this piece is also going to have uh, 42 actors, which is a large cost. Uh, so we'll see where that will go. Who wants to go next? I'll jump in. I'm really, really excited for the full production of Rainier Falls. Uh, I mentioned loving Harlow Fowler earlier, that I love their blend of kind of suspense, melancholy, and offbeat humor. And the fact that this is now their take on Twin Peaks, which is one of my all-time favorite shows. I'm incredibly excited for that. Um, and I really am also looking forward to seeing what they do with the Wildrance space, because previous productions of theirs have all been these very, that I've seen, have been these very interesting kind of site-adaptive, if not site-specific performances. So once they get that level of control over a space. I'm really curious to see what they do with it. Yeah, I I saw a playtest, but I'm I'm not going to say anything cuz they'll probably change a thousand things by the time they actually stage it for real. Well, I am incredibly excited for that for real staging and we can compare notes then. Awesome. And you, Cheyenne, what are you looking forward to? What's on your calendar? So I very much agree with Allie and Blake. I am all about spooky stuff. I'm really, really excited for Rainier Falls and just all the Halloween kind of fall stuff that's coming up. I know I should be appreciative for summer because I feel like it just started, but I'm, I'm ready for like the cold snap in the woods kind of productions. Um, and then outside of that, uh, this summer, I'm really excited for the Rogues Gallery because it's like the bunker, but bigger and with supervillains. So there's really not a lot to not be excited about for that. Yeah, definitely. Broken Ghost always does super interesting work. All right. So we've been talking for a while and I think it is time for my lightning round. So I'm just going to start calling on you guys to tell me what show or experience in or outside of New York, do you have the most FOMO about? Like what is it killing you that you're missing out on in LA or San Francisco or Austin or Chicago or London or whatever? Uh, Ali, let's take it away. Uh, my two, the two big FOMOs this year were definitely uh, Confection over in DC. And I also missed Broken Bone Bathtub when it was in New York. So no. Disappointed. I know. How about you, Cheyenne? What's what's your I, what are your FOMO on? Yeah, I'm having major FOMO. Just speaking of spooky things, um, where dark things dwell in Toronto is like everything I love. It sounds super Lovecrafty. It's like curses and cultists and witches, and I'm very sad that I'm probably not gonna make it to Toronto to see it. 
Yeah, um, so they start running it in the summer, and it goes all through until I think it's too cold to be outside, but it's in a village, it's dark, you're outdoors, and you're kind of in that escape game mode, if I understand their uh, press release correct. What about you, Asia? What are you FOMO about? That would be, um, I guess, Whisper Lodge. And they were in New York, and I missed them. And uh, but hopefully we'll be able to catch them somewhere around the globe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, well, I hope that she's not mad at me for saying this, but Melinda Lau is now a resident of Brooklyn again. So she's with her Whisper Lodge ladies of New York. And hopefully we will see another instance of that experience very, very soon. And lastly, but not least, Blake, what do you have FOMO about? I also was very into Where Dark Things Dwell, and as also a big Escape Room fan, uh, me and Michael Anderson of ARGnet constantly are running around to Escape Rooms. We're already trying to plot to see if we can get there. But the one thing that I'm crushed that I did miss out on, because it sounded totally up my alley, was a LARP called Eschaton um, that was up in Rhode Island, I believe, in Newport. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's uh, Garrett, um, I can't remember his last name, but please go ahead. <laughs> it was a Lovecraft LARP from the perspective of the cultists, and all the player factions were different cults. And it was agreed upon at the start of the game that the world was ending. It was the player's job to guide and interpret how the world ending is to take place and what that means for humanity and what that means for them as people who have been building up to this moment for their entire lives. And it's just such an interesting perspective-taking exercise in that sort of spooky Lovecraft world that I would have loved to be there, but I ended up having a business trip. While it was going on, I was so upset. Boo. Yeah, those jobs do get in the way. Well, I just looked up their site. It's Tyler, Ken, and Garrett of Reverie Studios who emailed us a long time ago. And I apologize for not getting back to you guys sooner. But that does sound lovely, especially because the that kind of bigger lens, right, that global ending has already been set. But like the actual details of how it got there is open up to the players. So I think maybe that hints at the conversation we were just having with Ali around, you know, um, the amount of agency that you can give the audience and letting them have enough choice to feel like it's satisfying, but at the same time, like they, that that the world has ended, right? So that's like part of the, the world building and the storytelling already. So that's not something that anyone can necessarily change, right? It's immutable, but how you got there and the kind of lore that you can build to explain how the world got that way is totally open. So that sounded super, super cool. <sighs> I will have to pay attention for whatever their next production is going to be because that cleverness in design, even just seeing that, has me deeply curious for whatever they've got in their bag of tricks next. Awesome. So I think we are getting near to the end of our time together. Is there anything else anybody would like to say while I still all have you together? 
once again want to thank Catherine Yu for doing the host duties out there in New York City and Ali, Asia, Blake, and Cheyenne for jumping on the show. Check out the work of the team there at nopersinium.com, uh, holding things down. There's, there's changes afoot. Um, some of you don't know this yet, but Catherine's actually moving out here to LA uh, to, to pursue a master's degree. Uh, and uh, so they're, they're just upending their lives coming out here. So the upshot is, is like, I get one of my friends, uh, which is great. Uh, but we're restructuring New York, which is scary. Um, for those of you who don't know, Catherine does an amazing amount of work for us. Um, and uh, since she's going to a master's degree program, uh, we're we're things are about to get serious. Um, it's scary. Uh, it's kind of exciting. No pros evolved a lot in the past couple of years, thanks to Catherine. Um, uh, I'm going to be getting my hands dirty again. So expect the social media feeds, uh, to kind of like change in tone a little bit, uh, since suddenly it, it's going to be the Noah show, uh, to some degree, but we're also bringing on, uh, some folks. Um, there's a whole big spring project of new writers in new places that, uh, is, is still incomplete. Uh, this is not a call for writers again. We're actually still like processing through. We've got, we've got wonderful people who've stepped up in, in Denver and Chicago and other places. And we're in the middle of system, creating a new system, uh, by which to process all of that. Um, and there's so much going on right now. Like, I don't know if you noticed those of you who get the LA newsletter, but, uh, there was just, there's just a boom, like a little explosion has happened post fringe, which is very exciting. Uh, no quiet time, uh, July and August are, are spinning up and then we're going to hit spooky season. And of course the without walls festival coming up in October, uh, which we'll be covering. So there's just, there's just a bunch of things going on. And then on the other side of the world, um, you know, I know there are people who are wondering like, what, what's going to, what's going to happen with IDS and everything next year. And there's some, there's some big announcements that are becoming towards the end of July, uh, is when you should be looking for information on that. There's a few deals that need to be made. And, um, once we do that, um, fun things to announce. Uh, so I'm on pins and deals on that. And then those of you who keep up with, uh, what's going on over at Leia, um, again, uh, just there's, there's the slog on the legal side to get the ducks in a row. And I got to admit, I don't wake up in the morning and go, Oh boy, I want to do legal things. Uh, so another reason why, uh, we're taking a break next week is just, uh, to, to <laughs> clear the bilge of a few things and just knock out. So I'm, I'm not going on a bender next week. I'm just, taking a breath and uh, clearing out a few things that need to be cleared out and get some stuff going back on. Um, some of you might have, who follow me on Instagram, not no pro, but, um, but are you that guy, which is my Instagram, personal Instagram handle, may have noticed that uh, Anthony Robinson, um, our uh, culture editor here in LA, and I uh, went to Disneyland and to Galaxy's Edge for his birthday. Uh, there's a whole bunch of photos of us being the uh, uh, adolescent children that we are. Um, and it was it was a lovely, lovely day. It was the second day of the that part of the park being open to everyone. And uh, everyone was terrified that there was going to be massive lines and that the virtual queue system would keep everyone from going in. And um, nope, nope. 
much like Carmageddon, uh, which is a thing that happened here in L.A. Uh, years ago where they closed the 405 for a day and everyone freaked out and refused to get on the roads, a lot of people just seemed to steer clear. Um, and so we had just just a, a lovely, fantastic day, uh, spent most of it in Galaxy's Edge. And, um, you know, at this point, Anthony and I have gone, uh, Kara's gone, uh, Kevin's gone. We're going to get the we're going to get the crew together. Brianna's gone. Uh, we will get the crew together to talk about their trips because everyone's had a different trip. Uh, everyone's had a different experience. They went at different times. Um, and, um, you know, you'll find that, uh, a great many things depend upon your point of view, uh, in terms of, um, the experience you've had at that part of the park. Um, what I will say kind of definitively on my end is that there's, they're getting the details right. There's some stuff that, uh, I definitely feel like, um, you know, there's, there's, there's things in terms of accommodating, uh, the, the normies, I won't say muggles, uh, cause that's Harry Potter land, but there's, there's, there's some stuff there where, you know, um, look, there's, there's no carnival rides, uh, in that part of the park. There's no little thing, uh, that you can stick a toddler on, uh, for a few minutes. So, uh, even though it's like the biggest single type expansion yet, it's not like Cars Land where there's like four or five little quickie things people can do. Um, which is that is that a a, a, a miscalculation? Um, I, I think instead that there's some space to do things that are a little bit different, and the infrastructure's there, um, and the whole thing about the interactive app actually wound up being a lot more interesting. Uh, than I thought it was going to be. Um, like I didn't necessarily think that like, oh, like I want to come to Disneyland to go play uh, an app game, uh, you know, like a, an AR game, but uh, everything interacts. So um, there's, there's, there's some joy to be had there. And with, with a few little, 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 little pings up as they get everything up and running, um, I think that there's going to be a lot there. Um, and they've still got a whole nother ride to open. So, uh, I, I know that, uh, there's been some mixed chatter about it, but, um, <laughs> I love it. And, uh, I sold my soul to make sure that I could go back. So, um, expect a full breakdown on galaxy's edge, uh, even fuller than we've had before. Um, as I kind of observe more people also, you know, uh, if you're the kind of person who likes to go and, and role play, uh, it, it, it plays back with you. It does, which is nice. Okay. Um, I, I might've been, I might've been, uh, admiring, uh, this, this lightsaber that I got there, um, during that entire time. I just turned and looked and saw it. It's on the desk now. So obviously, um, just felt like sharing. Okay, uh, let's do the things we do. Again, um, the major source of income for my existence now comes from uh, patreon.com slash noprosinium. We're very thankful for those of you who support the show, most especially our sustaining backers, Mark Baltazar, Jan Bubman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. If you've got a show you need to tell us about, it's pitches at nopersinium.com or look for our Airtable. Um, I should 
bitly code. You know what? Catherine probably has a bitly, bitly code for that. Um, Catherine, um, <laughs> I know you're going to hear that. You're going to be like, oh, it's such and such. I expect a Slack later today. That's like, the code is this, that, the other thing. Um, that's it. That's it for now. Um, no show next week. Taking a breather. We'll be back in two weeks. We've got a whole bunch of episodes in the can. Um, and uh, there's just a hell of a lot more to come and new horizons uh, to reach out to. Until then, until next time, I'll see you at the show.